One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Internet Marketing. I'm here with Kat Anderson, Head of EMEA Marketing at Sprout Social. And we're discussing all things 2022 social media trends. And this podcast today comes off of the back of Sprout Social's annual index report, which was just released on May the 17th. It's in its second year. And we've surfaced some of the most interesting insights that particularly apply to the UK and Ireland audience to discuss today. Welcome to the podcast, Kat. Hi, Scott. Thanks so much for having me. No problem. Do you want to take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners? And though I'm sure a lot of people listening know who Sprout Social are, they may not know you. Describe yourself, what you do, and a little bit about what's happening at Sprout Social at the moment. Yeah, sure. No problem. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm Kat Anderson. I'm the head of EMEA Marketing at Sprout Social. Sprite Social, for those who don't know, is a SaaS company and we are, um, well, we're at the very base level, we're a social media management software solution. So that kind of is one of those phrases, I think, that can be used to be applied to lots of different things. But essentially for any business, institution, whatever it is that has multiple social media channels, we are a place where you can consolidate all of that into one location, which saves heaps of time. And besides that, we also offer deep analytics and social listening and customer management. And yeah, there's a whole plethora of features that are attached to the tool that we offer. So it's a super helpful tool for anyone who's working in social media. Um, we have 30,000 customers worldwide. And yeah, it's uh, it's pretty helpful. So <laughs> yeah, as our reports not. like the annual index report. And so let's start there. I want to know a little bit before we go into the report and we draw out all the marketing insights. I love to know the creation process why you produced it, and in particular with a report like this, the process that you go through to analyze data and surface insights. So maybe let's just start with why you create the report. My assumption is lead generation, that's one part of it, but are there any other reasons that you create a report like this? Yeah, like I think this report is actually much, well, I don't know, for me, I think this report is less about lead generation and more Mm -hmm. about having a deep understanding of your audience and of the world in which we exist. So the index report in itself has actually been running in the States for a number of years now. And when I came to this role uh, 14, 15 months ago, 
the big goal right off the bat was, you know, it's great that we have these insights, but these insights were being collected about American consumers and marketers. So, you know, there was still value there, but it, it could, I just thought it could be more valuable if we were doing this for UK and Irish people as well, because there are differences in these two different regions. So that was when we started doing it. Um, how we do it is we work through an external um, panel provider. So we will write up the surveys and we have a an uh, in-house data analyst who helps us write up the surveys to make sure that they are not, you know, like leading questions and mm. they're perfectly balanced in terms of bias, you know, because you, uh, there's nothing I can tell you, Scott, that drives me more up the wall <laughs> when you see questions and you know, they're definitely not biased and they are leading. So we mm. we work pretty hard to make sure that they're fairly neutral in how we phrase things. And yeah, then we work through an external panel provider who will get a, who will get us access to these people. So it's not that we're just, sur- again, to avoid bias, we're not just serving customers and people in our own networks and people that we know who are likely already in deep into the world of social media. So we're trying to get like a, a fair cross-section of the UK and Ireland um, we gathered this data in March this year, and then we bring it back and we have a few iterations. It goes through a few different people like the data analysts and it goes through the copywriters. And then the UK and Irish report, it's funny you mentioned lead generation this year because it is so much more about knowing our audience and wanting to sort of... Um, wanting to create that thought leadership, you know. Uh, actually, the UK and Irish report is not gated. So you don't have to give us any data at all to have a look at it, actually. So um, it's really about creating this information like and quantifiable insights that, to be honest, I think this year, there's a lot of quantifiable insights that maybe we've all felt uh, over the past two years, especially, but they don't exist anywhere, you know? So mm. uh, things like changing attitudes to social media, changing usage a whole bunch of different things that I don't see them being uh, captured in any other reports. So I thought this was an opportunity for us to capture it. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm generally a report sceptic. And what that means is that <laughs> whenever I uh, receive kind of downloadable guides or reports, it's really interesting that you talked about the focus on removing bias and making sure mm-hmm. you're asking the right questions. And that's one of the reasons I'm a skeptic is because I know, not everyone focuses, I, I know not everyone focuses on that. And I also know uh, how, how easy it is to produce a report that tells a story that you want it to tell. Mm-hmm. And one of the most interesting things that you just said there is aside from like lead generation and that not actually being a primary focus um, is just that ability to take a step back. We don't give ourselves that opportunity in marketing too, marketing too often because things move so fast. So actually surveys, um, surveying the people that you're working with, the industry that you're in, is a really good opportunity. Sometimes it might just cement the things you think you already knew, but just that alone can be a really useful exercise. And of course, it can reveal things that you weren't aware of or alert to as well. But yeah, that process of just cementing stuff that you think you already knew, I think is really valuable and it goes underappreciated in marketing. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you think that because I, I couldn't agree more, honestly, because uh, as I say, there's it's definitely one of my pet peeves when you see, and I think you're actually dead right to be a survey cynic, shall we call it? <laughs> because... <laughs> yeah. uh, 
yeah, sometimes it's just very transparent when that is the case, you know, and you just think, well, I'm, I wonder why you give that answer. Yeah. I mean, I'm very familiar with how this survey was put together and I can very confidently say that this was something that we worked really hard to avoid. So, yeah. And uh, on the promotion side of this, again, a marketer at heart, I'm really interested in what you do to promote reports like this. And obviously you're on a podcast speaking about it. So that's a promotional technique that you use. Is it, do you have any kind of primary strategies for promoting reports like this? Um, and how effective is podcasting with you? Yeah, that's a really great question as well. So I think um, we do use email marketing. We have lots of organic social channels that we, of course, I mean, plot twist, (laughs) Spark Social uses social media. (laughs) I couldn't have predicted that. Um, We also have paid media strategies. Um, Let me see. We have... uh, yeah, like the website will be gener- or like set up so that it will encourage people to go to see it as well. We do then, to be honest, this is a report that when we create it, we create it around the same time every year. So it's about Q2 every year that it comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, but the data is pretty solid. You know, it's not like so incredibly timely that it only exists for the launch. So Mm. what we find then is that we're able to sort of use this data um, and share the insights kind of for the next six months as well. So this will by no means be the last time that you uh, see the, the, uh, the index being cited. We do also have like robust PR where we will talk to different, um, press outlets, um, and then, yeah, podcast is something that's kind of kind of new for us. So uh, we recently just started our own podcast as well. And so we just sort of, this has sort of been a new world that we've unlocked. Um, and Scott, it's a good world, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to give the new podcast a plug to let people know where they can find it. Oh, yeah, no problem. Um, so, yeah, our new podcast is called Social Creatures. And, uh, yeah, it, you can... I mean, I hate to say this very overused phrase, but you can hear it anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. But uh, it's, I think it's kind of refreshing because, I don't know, I think social media can be a bit of a, a crazy place and it can feel that everyone is telling you that you need to be on social media all the time and it's super important to your marketing strategies. But I think for a lot of people who are maybe approaching it for the first time, it can feel a bit overwhelming because everyone appears to be going like viral. Everyone's got tens of thousands of followers. Um, and the truth of the matter is that, uh, that there isn't really a single path to success. Hmm. So, uh, what we do in social creatures is we talk to a bunch of different people, places, institutions, businesses who have found success on social media in one shape or another, whether it's on TikTok or Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever it might be. Um, and it's just, it's really fun. We have really, really honest conversations about sort of the crazy ride that that path to success has often been for people. And yeah, just sort of an honest warts and all chat, you know, where you realize like, okay, there isn't a singular path to success. And mm-hmm. in fact, maybe we could all do with being a little tiny bit more honest about, you know, the stuff that didn't work as well, as well as the stuff that did work. I like that as a podcast host, actually, when people share with me the stories about things that didn't work. It makes it all feel a little bit more human. And also it gives scenarios and techniques context. And that really helps as well on the marketing front. I love the name 
social creatures by the way i think that's a really great name for a podcast oh, thanks and that one is uh one yeah. of mine <laughs> oh well there you go Credit to you. um as uh as you were talking i'm glad you mentioned tiktok because one final question on the promotion aspect of this report that came to mind is i've always found it interesting even when i worked on reports guides primarily copy based downloads myself in repurposing it for more visual mediums like video how much does video play a part in your promotional strategy strategy if at all do you chop up parts of the report put it into video and then use platforms like tiktok and instagram to promote it we sure do so um we are really lucky that we have um a brand creative team who it's like having an in-house agency basically. So they're wonderful for putting bits and pieces together for us. Um, How the video currently looks that we're using to promote is like uh, almost like the animated pieces of text. Mm -hmm. Um, So you probably will see that on Instagram stories and on TikTok. Um, But yeah, video is, I think video, I mean, let's be real. I don't actually think this is an I think question. There is no doubt that video is, probably probably the most compelling way to share things online especially in this bite-sized format that we're seeing increasingly everywhere at the minute so yeah like that's a really big thing for us generally but it's kind of i think a little bit more difficult to take a report of this size and reduce that down into a you know 5 to 10 second sting because you're really just what we're doing is we're taking like key data points and then animating the text around that. That's typically what we're doing. Um, because longer form discussions like what we're doing right now, they kind of lend themselves more to a big meaty report rather than the little sting videos. But that's how we're trying to move forward with that. It's something that comes up in the podcast, like repurposing audio content is a very similar concept and you you face very similar either challenges or opportunities depending on how you look at it as well so audiograms do you do audiograms scott we do um it's it's i've not found any i've used a few platforms that make it easier but it's still not easy Uh, my favorite my favorite platform for audiograms at the moment is headliner still and particularly headliner automations but yeah i've not i've still not found anything that i really i could say i love it's just mm. that headliner automations and headliner for me has been the best. I'll keep an eye out for you. Uh, <laughs> I also, at the minute, we, again, just use that internal company, but I'm actually going to uh, the podcast show in London this week. Me too. And I'm really hoping. Are you? Oh yeah, my goodness, yeah. Scott. We could have just done this live. <laughs> we could have. That's nice. Oh my God. Well, I was going to say that I was going to, I'm definitely going to be like a little squirrel running yeah. around gathering up all of the podcasting tidbits and nuts you know but um <laughs> you'll already you're already going to be there you'll already yeah, have a, yeah. start okay yeah. cool we yeah that like is cool i'm very excited actually yeah <laughs> right we should get into this report yeah. so uh <laughs> and get into some of the insights and surface some of the insights from the report and you actually touched on it right at the beginning right in the intro as you were talking through this report and some of the what's happened over the last couple of years and one aspect of life that the report touches on is accelerated social media transformation. I'm pretty certain that's a phrase you used just a moment ago as well. Um, I want to know, what does that mean? So um, to you and in context of the report, what are the insights that highlight the transformation that's happened or is happening? Yeah, great question. And honestly, this was 
for me, one of the core principles that we wanted to uh, demonstrate in this report, we wanted to show that this had happened. So for me personally, I felt very strongly that as a result of like I'll address the elephant in the room as a result of the pandemic, <laughs> a lot of things sort of uh, changed pretty fast in a way that maybe couldn't have been predicted. Uh, I think social media has been going from strength from strength from strength to strength for the past, I don't know, ten years easily, and it you know that was something that we all felt. But when the pandemic hit and shop fronts were closed and life as we knew it was sort of turned on its head for a while, it's not a surprise to anyone that we were all being much more digitally focused and that social media really, really sped ahead uh, from where it maybe would have if things had been continuing at a normal rate. What's interesting then is that in the report, we asked people about this. So we were like, this is what we kind of feel, but more broadly, is this has this been felt across all generations? Has it been felt just with marketers or has it been felt with consumers as well? And Right across the board from the 18 to 75 age group, all of the consumers answered overwhelmingly that they had been on uh, social media significantly more. Um, so had marketers. So again, like for us, we were like, okay, that definitely matches from what we experienced and what we expected. But unlike a lot of other trends that maybe happened during uh, the pandemic. I don't know if anyone else was making sardo bread or if they adopted a puppy or like all of these other trends that definitely were flashes in the pan. Um, changes in social media usage have actually stuck, which is quite interesting. So the rates of social media use are still incredibly high and they're still growing. So this, I think, can be quite easily explained in that, you know, when people were trying to make sardo bread, they possibly realized. Uh, that it was easier to buy it um, than trying to create a loaf of bread every day. But with social media, when people are using that heavy use of that every day, realizing that maybe people who previously would have used phone lines for customer service, for example, they might have suddenly realized, oh, look, if I go directly to you know, Twitter DMs or Twitter or whatever customer service uh, social media option a, a brand or a provider is, is giving to you, it's so much easier than phone lines. Uh, so that's a, a habit that's stuck. Uh, contacting people, doing online shopping, all of these are habits that are so convenient, so accessible um, that, yeah, it's just stuck. So let me see what other bits of data support this. As you're talking that through, one thing that I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, the actual numbers, but I recall that the UK and Ireland, there was an accelerated social media uh, usage that was higher than that reported in the US, but only marginally. Yeah. Was that correct? Yeah, that's right. So that was, I mean, I find that really interesting because, yeah, that happened in a couple of spots where data from the US and the UK and Ireland, we were able to directly compare. And I don't know, I, this is not something, again, that had necessarily been quantified before, mm. but I certainly always get the impression that the States is maybe a couple of steps ahead of us in terms of adoption um, yeah. and usage. And so one thing that I think maybe one of the stats you're referring to was um, proportionally, like how much are people using social media every day? Yeah. And 37% of British and Irish consumers said they were using it for more than two hours a day. And then compared to the US, that was only 31% of US consumers. There was another stat as well, 
which was about um, how consumers like to connect with brands. Um, and I do think, if I'm not very much mistaken, the US still had phones were in there, maybe in the top three. Um, but British and Irish consumers, uh, the top three answers were all digital. So it was uh, either on social media channels, on direct messages, or an email were the top channels. And again, I just think this is really interesting because you might be forgiven for thinking this is totally understandable if we were only surveying maybe 18 to 34 year olds. Hmm. But this was uh, a survey that was conducted right up to 75 year olds. So it's right across all of the generation boundaries, which I thought was pretty interesting. And I found it really interesting that there was some disparity or divide between consumers wanting WhatsApp or expecting WhatsApp to be like a primary place they would go to contact or use customer service on social media. And yet only a small percentage, 7% of the marketers anticipating using it over the next year. So yeah, some disparity between what consumers expect here and then maybe what marketers are planning. I'm really interested to know, is there anything that stands out to you just as a marketer in kind of a root cause that's maybe causing a slow adoption of WhatsApp in the UK and Ireland? Yeah, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because I, like everybody, like every single person I know, <laughs> use WhatsApp. Yeah. Uh, absolutely universally. You know, like I use it so, so, so much. It, I, uh, I'm a little bit baffled by this one. So I think the interesting thing about WhatsApp that we need to remember is that this is where um, consumer to consumer conversations are happening. It's more mm. private than like a Twitter conversation, for example. Well, uh, you know, a direct me- or a, not direct message. If it's like tweeting, you're, if you're tweeting yeah. each other, that's very open. WhatsApp feels like it's a little bit more in the private realm um, of how consumers are are communicating with each other. So I think there is an inherent, it's inherently a little bit more difficult to enter that realm as a brand in a way that doesn't feel intrusive and doesn't feel a little bit icky because Mm. I personally, again, this is very much a personal opinion, but I I don't love, and I do get it, SMS texts promoting things, you know, like where people, it, it feels a little bit intrusive. And I think that how marketing generally is progressing is that we are increasingly adopting an inbound model uh, for everything and it's we're moving away from the push tactics of you know the 1980s 1990s salesman like here's my product i'm moving more to value add and and a pull technique where we're attracting people to us so to therefore then jump into this private realm where people are having personal conversations to promote things doesn't feel right where i do think there is An enormous opportunity, though, is for WhatsApp to be adopted by brands to be used for customer service. So I think customer service via WhatsApp uh, seems like an absolute no-brainer to me. Um, And I know this just actually, it's funny, I always harken back to this story. One of my bosses was telling me he had an issue with his wireless router or router. I'm not sure which way people like to say it, but you, router or router. You've given up and, both uh, options, so it's good. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> someone's like, that's not how you say it. Um, <laughs> but he was having issues with that, which I think, let's be real, everyone's probably had issues with something along those lines at some stage in their life. And the company he was working with um, offered WhatsApp 
uh, for customer service. And he said the troubleshooting experience was just crazily good. So, mm. you know, you can scale that a lot easier than you can scale phone lines. Um, he was able to, you know, send pictures, send videos, um, and all just a lot easier than just like hanging on a phone line or even like email or even live chat because you've got the the mobility of the phone. I do think in terms of uh, how you promote yourself via WhatsApp, I think that's a little bit of um, an area that still needs to be figured out in a way that consumers will react positively to it. But as a place where you can offer sensational customer service, I think that some brands are starting to adopt that, but that's like a huge opportunity. I think. I think that, yeah, that I, I personally, if I had my own business, that was, uh, yeah, I don't know. I would be like all over WhatsApp. I just think that would be great for customer service. Yeah, this is such a this area is such a fascinating area to reflect on. There's a, there are a few things that stand out to me that perhaps could cause a slow adoption the first is actually just privacy law in the uk and people being conscious and scared of gdpr so maybe that's something that's coming into play here um we associate whatsapp as you said with a private messaging thing on our phones and perhaps for some businesses that feels too that doesn't feel secure enough that could be one aspect of this and i think the deeper thing is just this this uh, customer service has always been this it feels corporate to me so like you email in or use the ticketing system and then a customer service you know hq somewhere else in the world will respond to you when they're ready but people want faster people want human responses and so there's this kind of disconnect maybe between some businesses who aren't ready to adapt or haven't adapted to just this new world of customer service that we live in where all you really want is an answer and a human to speak to and that's not and and someone with um, someone with empathy skills. Uh, totally. Those, the, the, yeah, that's that just stands out to me that there's still that disconnect in the world, and maybe that's the reason for the slow adoption of WhatsApp. People have to yeah. get more comfortable. I oh my goodness, I could I could not agree with you more, especially on that part of like wanting to connect with a human and wanting to have that sense of empathy coming from the customer service representative that you're talking to. I think that that, uh, I mean, we'll not get into this, but uh, it's something that I think that's a trend that is, I think, on the cusp of absolutely exploding generally with marketing that, and especially on social media, because we're seeing loads of very personality-driven brands Mm -hmm. like the likes of Innocent, Ryanair, Aldi, Little, all of these brands that are starting to really show a bit of fun, a little bit of silliness on on social media. They're absolutely killing it. You know, like they're doing such a good job with it. Um, Consumers cannot get enough. And I think that this appetite, which is so evident, is going to explode absolutely everywhere. And I do think that, you know, customer service on something like WhatsApp, where it's instant, it feels more human, more personable, like, like you're actually connecting with someone. I think that's ultimately bizarrely the the deeper we've got into this digital world the more we're seeking out that authentic personable connection mm. on the comparison of uk and ireland versus us in terms of expectations for customer service or preferred communication channels for customer service can you recall any differences there yeah, so um, I think uh, I mentioned it earlier that the UK and Irish for customer service wanted 
direct messages, social media channels, and email. And then for the US, I think, uh, I can't remember what the top three were. I think it may have been email, phone, and social media. So a little bit um, slightly different. Um, a bit baffling to me because to be honest, I absolutely hate phone lines for getting in touch with people. I, uh, it's very much the case for a lot of brands still, but I think that it is, you just immediately, uh, see half an hour, minutes of your life dripping away. Don't you? You're just like, Oh my God. So yeah, there was a difference there. And I think that again, it could be, and again, we don't actually have the data so much to support this because it is very difficult to absolutely quantify this. But this very speedy adoption of social media that we're seeing in the UK and Ireland that has happened certainly seems to suggest that consumers are all in on social now, um, that they're using it right across the board and right across the customer journey as well, which again, from a marketer's perspective, is really, really interesting because we typically, and I do think probably right across the board, social media is fundamentally considered as just a marketing function, um, but it's not anymore. You know, it's it's being used uh, from prospect right through to customer and beyond. So um, it's important to make sure that your social media channels and your social media teams are set up to deal with that. And on the WhatsApp topic, whether it's the UK, Ireland, US, I'm just interested, or even whether it's included in the report or not, are there any examples of businesses that come to mind for you that have used WhatsApp in a really inspiring, useful, informative way? Yeah, for sure. So I think um, uh, it won't be bad for me to say that the uh, company that my boss used was Virgin Media. So that was Virgin Media who were using WhatsApp for troubleshooting their wireless setup. Um, and yeah, resounding praise from my boss for them. Um, I know that Little, I'm pretty sure Little have um, a pretty cool WhatsApp function where you can um, reach out to them and ask them about like, you know, what are the special offers this week? Um, I know that a bunch of plane lines use them as well. So um, I just can't remember exactly which ones they are. And the re- one of the reasons I ask is because I'm still, uh, I mean, it, it reflects the actual insight is that I'm not seeing, particularly in the UK, many examples of WhatsApp for business being used yeah. for this type of thing. Um, and I, I remembered the other thing as well is that I actually haven't seen Meta or Facebook promote WhatsApp for business that much in the UK. So I've not seen TV ads or billboards, or anything that the kind of things that you expect to see from Facebook. I haven't really seen it pushed that much. No, you're absolutely right. And I think it's, um, yeah, well, I haven't really seen it either. And um, I think it's a funny one because from where I'm sitting with the data that I've seen, it seems to be a bit of a no-brainer and also an opportunity where any business that did kind of jump in and get going with this would have a real early adoption advantage. But there definitely seems to be something... There's a there's a reason for the gap that I haven't quite got my finger on yet because, I, to, yeah, it seems such an obvious thing to me that I also can't really understand why only a very small handful of people are utilizing it in the way that I think they should. I will say, big hot take, I think that probably within the next 18 months, we'll see loads more brands doing it. Um, but just for the time being, it's a little bit of a puzzle. Well, the report has definitely inspired me because it was in our marketing plans in our agency to look at WhatsApp for business and we kind of haven't got around to it. And so it kind of accelerated that, that, uh, 
yeah, it maybe put it more front of mind for me. So it's something that we're going to be focusing on a little bit more. I think just I think it's just getting out there and experimenting. But actually, on this point, and uh, this leads into a whole topic which I'm equally interested in, and is maybe aligned and one of the contributors for not seeing WhatsApp out there. I'm going to take a quote from the report that says consumer social media maturity is trending up and to the right uh, and marketers have the internal buy-in needed to invest in the channel. Still, it doesn't mean the path to success is without hurdles. To truly capitalize on the opportunities available, marketers will need more resources to help them connect between the, uh, the dots between social and revenue. And this was really interesting because all it struck me, this uh, this section of insights from the report, that quote, is that perhaps the maturity, the sophistication of consumers has accelerated at a rate uh, that isn't equal to the investment in social media from businesses. And of course, there's this imbalance. Like I'm speaking as myself, as a marketer, I just said there that WhatsApp was somewhere on my list, but maybe I just don't have the resource to implement it. Maybe that's a contributor is this insight here that um, there's just not the the um, investment in social media that's required right now. Yeah, I mean, I think this one, I think this this particular <laughs> section really uh, speaks to quite a few things that we hear really commonly. So first of all, resources, I think, is something mm. we hear time and time again. And to be honest with you, if you think about... Uh, that picture that I painted a little bit earlier about, you know, five, six years ago, social media, uh, you know, brands have recognized they need to have some social media channels, but it could very well have been that social media was sort of, you know, thrown over to the intern on the marketing team Mm. to throw up a few posts every now and again. Um, And it was advancing and people were getting social media, like dedicated social media managers into their marketing teams. But you know, we've just spoken about this unexpected period of of accelerated transformation. Um, And, you know, as a result, a lot of these marketing teams, like one of the big insights that we saw was around the the issues around hiring at the minute, which Mm -hmm. is definitely not unique to social media. I think this is something that we're seeing right across all industries. But setting up your social media teams, I think, Having the buy-in, as we say, is really great. So having, um, you know, the C-suite or your boss is recognizing that, yeah, actually, we could be doing more in social media. We should be doing more in social media is one thing. But what success in social looks like now is is kind of a different thing. As I said as well, it's right across the customer journey. So, you know, having a content marketer who's managing your marketing materials, it's probably not going to cut it right across the whole uh, breadth of what your social media op- social media offering should be providing. Mm. Um, it used to be as well that I think one thing that we're hearing a lot is that you know you used to just be able to look out for a social media manager and that mm. would kind of be it. But social media managers are expected to do so many jobs at this point, and I think that um, yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of very, very, very accomplished social media. I know that there's a lot of very, very accomplished social media managers out there, but having one person to manage your content strategy, your anal- your data analysis, your customer service, your community management, um, all of that is, it's probably too much. It is too much for one person. Yeah, I think companies are sort of now realizing 
okay, we really need to, we need to sort of buckle up and get ourselves ready to be, to be providing the social media experience that we should do. It's definitely difficult, you know, and then as I mentioned, the hiring market at the minute is absolutely bananas. So Mm. it's hard for people to actually, to source these people. And one other thing, Scott, that like I hear all the time, and I just want to give a shout out to all of the frustrated social media managers is when you get a job posting that says, you know, we need somebody who's got 10 years experience on TikTok or something insane that's like literally <laughs> impossible to have. Um, and I think this is something we, it's actually very easy to see these job postings. And I think it just shows you that people are realizing, oh, we need to get someone in ASAP, but mm. they actually don't even really know what they're looking for almost as well, which is always going to be a problem then <laughs> when you're looking for this super experienced decades of experience TikToker and you're like, well, I'm going to tell you now, you're not going to find them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this section was really interesting to me because I thought a lot, again, I've got a lot of uh, empathy for social media managers and the just how much their role has change, changed over the years and then also the investment part. And it must be frustrating to be a social media manager that wants to explore new platforms, new formats, and maybe doesn't have that buy and all that, that, that um, resource, the budget. Um, one interesting thing about all of this and that connects with the WhatsApp for business part is I was thinking about the actual just working hours of social media managers. And mm-hmm. it struck me that I don't, I'm interested to know what you see, actually. Uh, it strikes me that social media just isn't a nine to five role. And actually one of those misconceptions about social media is that social media managers can work normal hours or they should work normal hours in a lot of businesses. You're going to have to have social media managers yeah, work unusual hours, I think, to meet the demands of customer service, reactive content. Um, and perhaps this is also where not one person can do that entire job. You can't have one social media manager working 24 hours a day. So maybe there's some overlap needed. And that's also where there's, a, um, there's an investment deficit. A million percent. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think in one aspect, and sorry to be a little bit gauche and just talk again about Sprite Social, but that's <laughs> literally one of the benefits of having a tool like Sprite mm-hmm. um, because you can schedule things to be going out around the clock. So you can be, uh, you know, you can be scheduling for different time zones. But to your point, like customer service, providing that 24-7, that is going yeah. to require a team being set up to be doing shift work, to be working in different time zones. Um, Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely something that is, we hear all the time um, and it is a massive challenge for, for those managing social. Another big misconception, I think as well, and we hear it, um, well, I've heard it on the podcast, on the Social Creatures podcast a lot, is that there still is kind of this little quiet belief that um, just posting really funny content or posting whatever it is you're posting on social, just posting it is enough. And every single one of the successful accounts say that, that once you press send, that's almost the start of that journey for that bit of content, because you really need to be on there. You need to be responding. You need to be interacting to sort of build up that sense of who you are, who you're audience are like that connection that community um so it's a lot you know um and so in an you know in an ideal world you're you're going to have someone managing all of the content you're going to have a team of people probably doing the customer service because 
unfortunately, uh, customer expectations are just so high now, you know, and I think the thing is, and I, I wonder what you think, Scott, like when you go on, you know, if you go on a phone line, as we mentioned, and you're waiting, you kind of expect that you could be waiting for flipping ages. Yeah. Um, but when you go on to Twitter DMs or something like that, you expect, I don't know, my expectations are that I don't expect to be waiting for half an hour to be responded to. Um, and I don't know where this expect. It's because it, as you, as you said right at the beginning, social is just so much faster. It's so much more instant. It's so much more available. And the customer service provision then needs to match that. So yeah, I think it puts, it puts pressure on teams for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm an impatient communicator aside from podcasting <laughs> where I try to listen, but in life and in customer service, I think I'm an impatient communicator anyway. And the reason is, is because it makes me laugh when, um, it just makes me like, we've all got our phones on us. We've all got a device at pretty much all times and that's just super disciplined, um, particularly businesses. And so it always make, it always makes me laugh when we like, let's say I email someone or message someone. I know someone's on the other end of that. And it's really just the decision that they've got to make about their speed of response. Mm. Um, actually, one thing that I remember recently is, um, around the energy crisis in the, well, everywhere in the world, but in the UK and Ireland, speaking specifically about the energy companies over here. What was really fascinating is that all the websites went down and everyone turned to social media, in particular Twitter. And uh, my energy company opened up their DMs to take meter readings for all of the yeah final energy bills for this for this crossover period. And nobody responded to me for about a week after messaging them via DM at DM. And I thought, well, they are getting lots and lots of replies, but I did expect like an acknowledgement yeah. from them. Um, because they had actually opened up their DMs and suggested this as a customer service channel. So, um, yeah, my expectations then were that, that that's a moment that I can recall quite recently where I just wanted a reply. I knew someone was there. I could actually see my message had been read, but no one had responded. And that's yeah. a choice. And when, when, when you know someone's read your message and it's a choice that they haven't responded, that for me builds a real, uh, yeah, kind of lack of trust. Oh my goodness. Totally. Like mm. I, Speaking as a consumer myself, I would hate that. I think yeah. that even just a- acknowledgement is something mm. that I think uh, so often. And again, actually, um, you know, we were at an event last week and um, talking to the public sector um, who sometimes, well, what we find analyzing a lot of the inbounds to the public sector was that a lot of people want to complain about the public sector, but a lot of these complaints were just going unacknowledged and unresponded to. Um, mm. And there's loads of um, reports that have been done by psychologists over the years where um, even if you don't have an answer for people per se, acknowledging people is a really massive part of customer yeah. service. So, you know, you provided this meter reading to them. You, yeah. you did, a, you did, you went out of your way to do that. And then yeah. they didn't acknowledge you. There was one other, I don't know if you saw it, Scott, there was one really interesting part in the report, which I loved, um, which was about um, customers being kept waiting too long on customer service. Yeah. And the number one action that UK and Irish consumers would do would be just like cancel a transaction or go to a competitor instead. And yeah. um, this was compared to the US people, the US consumers who said they would just like bad mouth you to friends and family. And I just thought this was so interesting because I thought, I well, uh, there's a few ways to interpret this. Like, I wonder is brand loyalty as much of a thing over here? Like, is it? I don't know if it is because I feel like 
the UK and Irish response definitely feels like what I'd be doing. I'd be like, I'm not going to hang around waiting if you're going to take forever to reply to me on a live chat or a Twitter DM. You'll just go to a competitor instead. But that just shows that there's so much to lose, I think, in this part of the world if you don't get it right with your consumers. Like, I think the obviously you don't want bad reviews to friends and family either. But I think in terms of actual bottom line and revenue for your company, it's important to get it right over here and to to like overachieve if you can and keep people happy. I mean, something else has just struck me as you're talking there is that we talk about social media managers. And I think sometimes the expectation is that the the social media manager that's responsible for using social media manager uh, social media for marketing purposes should also be the same person that uses social media for customer service and i think that's a massive problem as well because totally. those are very different skills that are required like wh- i cannot tell you how many times we hear this or uh, right. we have again we have a we have a section on the social creatures podcast where we have a little agony ant actually and we uh <laughs> because we kind of want to acknowledge that again you know obviously we're talking talking to these successful accounts but as I mentioned at the start, like it isn't easy. It isn't this is all relatively new for brands to try and ace it, and people aren't acing it right across the board. So we have this agony ant section, um, which I think is really nice. It's like we've got our Stacy; he answers all of our agony ants uh, <laughs> questions, and we get stuff like that all the time, where um, basically being forced to wear many hats or stretched to wear many hats um, to the extent that you're not doing any of your functions particularly well or you're not excelling at the area that you're good at because you're having to do everything. That's Mm -hmm. unfortunately super common. Yeah. I I don't want to forget this question because it's something I'm really curious about. And I'm really interested to, to know what you look for when you hire in social media roles. Now, I know it's going to be a a depends quite answer because there's so many different types of roles, but are there any characteristics that you look for universally across all roles when it comes to social media? Uh, That is a very good question because I think obviously in Sprout, there is a good understanding of Mm. the different types of people that we want to hire in and the different functions. So obviously some people will be customer facing, some other people might be analyzing data and then feeding that back internally. But I think, I do think probably the universal quality would be, I think adaptability comes close to what I'm trying to get at, but it's maybe not exactly the right word. But I think understanding that social changes really, really, really quickly always. And that I sort of feel like in the world of digital marketing anyway, you can't really or you shouldn't really rest on your laurels too much because it's constantly evolving and it's constantly changing and there's always new skills and new new like anagrams even that you have to like understand, (laughs) you know, like not anagrams, acronyms. Acronyms. Sorry. I don't want you anagrams know? on social media because yeah. social media is already complicated enough for myself. <laughs> Please don't give me Acronym. anagram. I know. Oh my goodness. That's so funny. Um, it's very early in the morning. So you'll have yeah, to forgive yeah. me for that. It's early and I've not had my coffee. But yeah, new acronyms. Um, and so, yeah, I think that with social though, like it's like digital marketing times 10. You know, like there's often a new platform coming out. There's new, uh, different ways to interpret things, different things you should be trying to do. I do think that another 
common thread that I've certainly discovered in my conversations is that having, and again, you actually said this earlier, my ears pricked up, but having a a spirit of experimentation on social, I think is Mm -hmm. really beneficial to like finding exactly how you can succeed and how you can be successful. Um, But this, all of this sort of speed, experimentation, change, adaptability, um, probably would be a little bit more difficult for someone who doesn't really like change so much, you know, and I think that you probably need to be a little bit more agile and uh, sort of, uh, you know, lean into that and always wanting to be like, you know, chasing that change is something that I think is important, but that's definitely not a universal characteristic of a lot of humans. I don't think. Yeah, adaptability is a great word, by the way. I think I think it describes how I feel and uh, the, the kind of topics we've discussed today. Curiosity is definitely one as well. Um, mm. And experimental in nature, I think it's really important. But, and to close out this episode, there was just a final section that I wanted to go through, which is aligned with this. And I'll read out a quote from the report just to set this up. The disconnect is most evident in spending plans More than two-thirds of marketers, 67%, anticipating investing at least a quarter of their budgets into AR, VR, and metaverse social strategy over the next 12 months. However, only 39% of consumers anticipate these technologies will play a role in how they engage with brands over the next year. So an imbalance in maybe where marketers are planning and spending their budget and the formats in which they're planning on using their budget for, and then what consumers actually need, expect, or will engage in. So one of the characteristics that come to, comes to mind for me about uh, potential social media expertise, the, the skills that you require, is actually just uh, like strategy and organization skills mm-hmm. because it's so exciting to be in social media. And like you said, have all of these different formats and platforms to experiment with. And in the case of AR and VR, potentially, and the metaverse, there are loads of things that are definitely worth knowing about, are definitely exciting, but you've got to know where it sits on the radar of your customers right now. And that's what stood out to me about that section. Um, is there anything in this world that you see that's particularly interesting to you? And kind of what would your advice be to marketers that are thinking about investing in AR, VR, and metaverse? This is such a good question, Scott, and I'm really glad that you brought it up because uh, when I initially saw this, um, my interpretation was, yeah, see, look, like consumers are all in on social. Uh, this is where we should be focusing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had a few conversations with, um, a number of different friends of mine who work in different industries on this very, very topic. And I was like, does this number seem strange to you that marketers are really over indexing on this future technology and consumers aren't? And the resounding answer was no, it wasn't strange at all. And that, I mean, uh, let's just address the bias here. Like I work for a social media management company. So social media is my focus. Um, But for marketers where social media maybe is part of uh, their marketing mix, um, the resounding answer I got was that, look, there is always something coming over the hill and there is always an advantage to being first off the bat or first off the mark to to sort of address it and to use it i think with ar and vr there are some industries where you can very easily see where that's going to be helpful so i think like for retail e-commerce that sort of is a no-brainer that we will be able to start seeing those technologies 
incorporated into that sort of buying experience of like, um, oh, well, I mean, I think actually if you, if you go onto the Ray-Ban website, it's not exactly the same, but you can like try on sunglasses before you buy, which I think is really cool. And I, I, it's, it's a very, very like juvenile version of that technology. But I think that's something that we'll see being used a lot more in that particular industry. But as for things like the metaverse as a whole, and I know like NFTs were brought in as well, mm. I think we're not entirely sure how they're going to be incorporated, but they are coming in with, you know, it's kind of the same as when social sort of broke out onto the scene in the early 2000s. You know, there was it was undeniable that they were going to be important. But I feel like all of this, this wave of new technologies, these future technologies, they are, there's an abundance of them. And I feel like that wave is coming a lot faster than we possibly realize. So I think marketers are just sort of acknowledging that and thinking like, okay, let's uh, have a think about like how we can incorporate those technologies. Because the thing is, even though consumers aren't particularly interested right now, they will be when we're starting to see it a lot more. There's, you know... It's something that people remember, people talk about when you can offer something that's like cool, different, unusual. You know yourself that if you ever go to a conference and people have uh, really cool activations with future technologies, people go absolutely crazy for it. So the early adoption advantage is real. Um, The flip side of the early adopter advantage is the slow adopter like stigma where you look really behind the times and you're like, oh, mm. why have they not got that yet? And I think that that probably will happen pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, it is an interesting one because I do think as well, the slight risk is that uh, brands, I think there's still enormous headway to be made on social. Like I think there is still a big gap between how consumers use and expect to be interacted with on social with brands than how brands are actually using it. I think there's still so much potential in that space to really sort of um, stand out in a positive way. Um, So I would sort of say to people, oh my goodness, your consumers are in abundance on social right now. Like you Mm. definitely should be trying to make sure that that experience for them is amazing as well. Um, But definitely keeping an eye on what's coming over the the crest of the hill because yeah, it'll be here before you know it. That's a great way to close. Uh, The message that I take from that is early adoption will likely pay off or your curiosity and experimentation will likely pay off in one way or another. Uh, Don't let your investment in those areas be to the detriment of what your consumers or customers expect. So um, yeah, really avoid shiny object syndrome as much as you can to prioritize, (laughs) prioritize your time where your, where your customers are and on the things that they want first. Kat, uh, to close out this episode, it's been fascinating talking to you. Uh, it's allowed me just going through this rapport and speaking to you today to reflect on social media in a way that I haven't done for a while. As I said, marketers are busy and sometimes um, in-depth reports like this give you the opportunity to either cement the things you knew or open you up to new concepts and ideas. So I found that really useful. If people want to find the report and want to find the Social Creatures podcast or you, let them know where they can find all of those things. Yeah, well, of course. And thank you for having me, Scott. It's been really lovely chatting to you as well. If you are interested in learning about anything that I've been talking about, 
Social Creatures is available on Spotify, Apple, anywhere else that you listen to yeah, your podcast. Everywhere you get your good, yeah, everywhere you get your yeah. podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you have to say it a little phrase. bit cheesily, don't you? Yeah. Um, you can follow us on all of our social media channels at Sprite Social. Um, the website is the best place to find the uh, index report, as well as heaps and heaps of other resources, which I'd really recommend checking out. The link for the 2022 UK and Ireland index report is sprightsocial.com forward slash insights forward slash data forward slash UK Ireland social media trends 2022. And if you want to follow me at all, my name is Kat Anderson. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Um, yeah, my handle is at cat underscore GRL. Kat, all that's left to say is thanks so much for your time. This has been the Internet Marketing Podcast. Take care.